0: Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith. and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW show where we hit on all the biggest news of the week. And I'm going to break format to start things off. And I'm going to tell you I'm a little pissed right now. I'm a little upset. Some of you have already seen the news. Some of you maybe haven't. Some of you might discard this piece of information. But let me tell you, there was no bigger event this week than the DFL Once again, dissing Bayern Munich's grass in favor of Bayer Leverkusen. Leverkusen was able to clinch the DFL grass championship, as I like to call it. And let me tell you, this is an atrocity. It is a terrible decision, and this aggression will not stand, man, okay? If you missed our post on the site, you know, grass, we take it very seriously, at BFW. It's not just uh, fodder for our site. It's not just something that we write about. It is life for many of us. So, when Bayern Munich was once again passed over for pitch of the year, I'll tell you what, we were not happy. So, uh, let's just get this out there. DFL, you're on notice. You can't keep doing this to Bayern Munich. This is, this is definitely not something that we will tolerate here at BFW, uh, especially for the fine people who are part of the Bavarian Grassworks contingent. Uh, you need to get your act together. We want answers. We want to talk to your evaluators. And uh, this needs to be addressed as soon as possible. So now that I've gotten that out of the way and, and delivered that stern message to the DFL, We can hit on our normal format, which is the five things we learned this week. And again, we have such crazy weeks now. It kind of makes your head spin. And the news cycle itself is spinning a bit because we are seeing a lot of developments with some of the primary stories of the Bayern Munich offseason. It has been absolutely crazy And the first thing we learned this week is that Bayern Munich is indeed extremely serious about Sadio Mane. They have delivered reportedly two offers to Liverpool so far. And this deal looks like it's getting closer and closer to getting done. So let's take a step back and and talk about what we think about this. Mane is obviously a phenomenal player. He can do so many things. He brings uh, not just a nose for the goal. He can score in a lot of different ways got tremendous speed. He makes good reads off the ball, makes terrific runs. There's no doubt that he would be an asset to the team. And I think that in, in, under normal circumstances, uh, this would be a terrific move. I worry on my end about the roster, the impact that this has on some of the players. Uh, specifically, I wrote a piece this week about Jamal Musiala and that I'd rather see Bayern Munich give Musiala the opportunity give him the extra playing time put the trust in him and let's see what he can do in the scenario part of it's because I'd rather see that money saved and banked for a more important purchase and I'll get to that in a second but uh, the other reason is uh, while I acknowledge Sonny would be a good fit and while he would bring uh, some good qualities to the team I think if you add him you not only are are probably closing the book on Serge Gnabry. uh, You could alienate players like Leroy Sané and Kingsley Coman in the process. This whole thing could go a million different ways. Uh, One of the things that would have an effect is what formation Julian Nagelsmann runs. If If he runs a formation that will feature wings, Mane could absolutely be in the mix there. But again, who sits how much time does he eat up he's certainly not moving to Bayern Munich to get in a rotation right if Nagelsmann opts to go with the back three where he's featuring one striker and two attacking midfielders without wings then you're just adding another player whose best assets are probably used at wing a position that might not even necessarily be on the squad Um, it's tough because he is such a good player and while I think he would be an asset I'm looking at the long-term development and the long-term strategic direction of this club. And, you know, in past weeks, I've kind of put it in the question if there is such a thing as strategic direction at this point, or if everything is reactionary, I do think that Mane, a move for him and spending 40 million euro or more on him, while in the grand scheme of things might not mean a ton this season. It could have long-term ramifications because you really don't know about the future of some players on the roster. Given the type of uh, exodus we've seen this offseason so far, Lewandowski wants out. Nicholas Sula's gone. Quentin Taliso's gone. Mark Rocco wants out. Serge Gnabry reportedly wants out. <sighs> you don't know where some players like Luca Hernandez and Benjamin Pavar where they fit. Do they want to stay? In recent interviews, neither player has really committed to Bayern Munich on a long-term basis. And it would not shock me if either player next summer decides that they also want to leave Bayern Munich. So there's a lot that goes into this. And when I talk about passing on Mane, it's not because there's a reason not to like him as a player or that he wouldn't help the team has nothing to do with that it has to do with I'm looking at the the grand scheme of things in this roster and I have some doubt about how you replace defenders like Hernandez and Pavar if they leave because I I haven't necessarily been convinced that Upamecano is going to take his game to the next level yet Tanguy Nianzu has been wildly inconsistent and while I might like a player like Chris Richards He's going to have to prove himself and, and climb over some of those aforementioned defenders, even to get the opportunity to prove himself. So it, there, are, there are a lot of things that go into it. I do believe that the pursuit of Mane is real. I believe that Bayern Munich is, is taking this very seriously and that they are making every effort to get Mane. Part of that, I believe, is because they're, they're looking at Robert Lewandowski's situation and they recognize that they need some star power to replace him. And whether Mane is a direct replacement or not for Lewandowski, a lot of people are calling that into doubt. Doesn't really matter. What matters is the star power that he brings, the kind of hype that he can generate just by him going to Bayern Munich. Um, I'm torn on it. I am. I am. Uh, I want to see a player like Musiala given a larger role and. I will say this. I've seen a lot of commentary about how such a young player doesn't need a big role yet, that it's not good for his career. I think that might be true in the case of some players, but Musiala has clearly shown that he is ready for the next step. And how long you can keep him held down when he has shown that he's ready for that next step, I don't know. Eventually, that youthful exuberance for just being on the first team starts to wear thin. And I think if you had to look at anybody who's experienced something like that, go over to Chelsea and look at Callum Hudson-Odoi. He was a player who everyone wanted. They wanted him at Bayern Munich. They wanted him at Chelsea. Chelsea locked him down with a big contract. And, of course, he had great skills. He's, he's, He's a terrific prospect. But he didn't get that regular playing time, which made him unhappy. Then when he did get the playing time, he probably wasn't mentally focused on being successful because he was so bitter about his position on the roster. I don't want to risk anything with Musiala. and sure, comparing him to Hudson-Odoi might be a bit of a stretch. I think Musiala is a, a better and more talented player than Hudson-Odoi. But what I can say is if you keep holding him down, he might start to get a little bitter. He might start to get a little resentful, thinking that he should be in the mix. And with someone as versatile as Musiala, you can use him in a variety of positions. So whether he's an attacking midfielder or a wing or even an eight at this point, you've got to find a way to get him on the pitch regularly. And I think that adding Mane is just going to hinder that. And for me, if I had to make the decision right now, I'm banking that 40 million you might have to spend on Mane because I'm anticipating having to replace a defender next summer. I'm anticipating I'm going to need some money to replace Lewandowski and if if Gnabry is really so bitter that he doesn't want to resign a deal, you might have to replace him as well. And I don't know that, you know, you could say Mane is a direct replacement for Gnabry, but it doesn't help you solve all those other issues that you have. More importantly, I think Bayern Munich needs to start generating additional revenue because there are going to be some holes. They're going to have to account for them in the next couple of years. You're also going to start to see players like Thomas Muller and Manuel Neuer as they as they wind down their careers, you know, they're going to be players who are eventually not going to be there and you're going to have to replace them as well. And you simply cannot replace them easily or probably cheaply. So um, the situation with Mane is evolving. You know, by the time you even listen to this podcast, he could be signed. I'm recording this on Thursday. Of course, we release it early Friday morning on the East Coast U.S. time. Uh, you know, the situation is really moving so quickly. We're not sure how it will all end up. But if it does happen, we will definitely be covering everything about it. And uh, I'm interested to know how you guys feel about it. I, I did enjoy reading the commentary, and I thought there were some very salient comments about uh, there were salient comments pro Mane, some anti Mane, but I think everyone was coming from a place of looking at the situation with Bayern Munich. And, and really talking about how they wanted to proceed. And for those of us that are in the give Musiala the ball camp, you know, I, I just think it's time for the kid to, to, to give him the opportunity. He's ready. And I think he, he needs to play more. And I think when you have Coman on the roster and you have Leroy Sané, you've made commitments to those players. If you bring in someone that's going to usurp some of their playing time, I really, I fear what the result may be from those players and how much of a distraction they might cause. Uh, And we'll get into some of those uh, potential distractions later in this podcast. Anyway, the second thing that we learned this week is that Robert Lewandowski uh, threw himself a pity party and then he tried to walk it back. And Lewandowski is doing things that might, he thinks might be helping his cause, but in reality, they're just muddying the waters even more I am going to say this now. I support Lewandowski in that I think that he has the right to say he wants to move on. And sure, yes, he has a contract that can keep him here through next season. He wants to move on. He's giving the club an opportunity to try and work something out. But where I will say Lewandowski made some missteps. Going so public with his desire to leave took away some of the bargaining power that Bayern Munich has. When you have a star player, especially someone that's in that echelon of of not just great players, but you're talking all-time great talent, Lewandowski coming out and saying that he wants to leave and then throwing the mini-fit that he did, it was not only just a bad look, but it took away Bayern Munich's ability to really try and maximize the situation. In that respect, Lewandowski wasn't fair to the club. But if you want to take Lewandowski's side on this, he might not feel like a he has much of a reason to be fair. He wanted to extend his deal with Bayern Munich last fall. The club chose to ignore him. And that's if you believe those reports. Then as the situation went on, Lewandowski kept waiting for discussions to happen and waiting and waiting and waiting some more. And then finally they didn't happen. And then we got to the point where Bayern says they submitted an offer. Lewandowski says he never saw it. Who knows where the truth lies with that one. The bottom line is Lewandowski hasn't handled this great. Bayern Munich's board, uh, squad planners, whatever you want to say, whoever was directly responsible, they have not handled this well either. They have not taken their star player and, and tried to give him the necessarily, necessary coddling that he needs. And he does need coddling. What we know about Lewandowski is that he's a, he's a bit sensitive. And we've learned that since 2018. So, uh, you know, players of that ilk tend to be high maintenance. I think you would find the same thing about Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, certainly Neymar. Uh, They're all sensitive. They're all a little bit paranoid, I think. And that's part of what drives them to greatness. But Bayern Munich's lack of communication, the lack of making him feel like he is wanted and the lack of flexibility and even exploring ways to make this work, it seems, uh, has turned Lewandowski off. (sighs) But with that, Lewandowski cannot go on a podcast, unless it's this one, and start to complain about his situation and, and throw himself this pity party that just looks so pathetic. It did. It was a pathetic display. He did try to walk it back because I'm sure Pini Zahavi and the, the team of people walking around Lewandowski saw those quotes and probably said, dude, you you have to you have to make this right somewhat. We're not saying capitulate to Bayern Munich, but you got to walk it back a little to to save face here. And all Lewandowski did in the process was piss fans off. And and even those who were supporting him, and and admittedly, I'm one of the ones who, and I'm telling you, he has every right to ask for a transfer. And the club should probably look to, to sell him because it didn't make the necessary effort to keep him. So, yeah, I get his point. But what he did and whining like that, it was just very unbecoming. And it's like for someone so great, and for someone with such a story like his of resilience and fighting through tough times, and battling from basically coming from nowhere to get to the top level of his game, of his profession, to go out and and do this, even if he's frustrated, even if he's upset, even if his feelings are hurt. It just looked bad. You know, all of us as fans, we want to hear the players talk. We want to hear their feelings. So it's very conflicting when you want to hear these things, but then it just comes across so poorly. And that's just where that's where I'm at with it. I want to know how the guy feels. But at the same time, I'd prefer something like this. He communicates internally to the club that he keeps it in house and that they try and work something out because this did not help the situation. And quite frankly, I don't know where Bayern Munich falls on this now. This hardline stance they had about keeping him. It's clear he's unhappy. And I think an unmotivated, unhappy Lewandowski is not going to help them get to where they want to be as a club. And that's sadly just the way it is. So at this point, Bayern Munich needs to sell Lewandowski. He needs to to not act like, you know, uh, everyone's against him or that everyone should feel sorry for him. Nobody does. Dude, you make a ton of money. You've got a great life. You're one of the best players in the game today, if not the best. Nobody's going to feel sorry for you. Let's just suck it up. Let's get through it. Work with the club and try and find a way out. Hopefully the club comes to its senses and realizes that they botched this from the beginning as well. I think everyone just needs a quick cut and they need to move on. It's best for Lewandowski. It's best for Bayern Munich. It's best for everyone. So. That's where I stand on it. Uh, I'd be very interested to see where you guys are as well. Of course, drop your thoughts in the comments to this podcast or hit me up on social media on Twitter. Uh, The third thing we learned this week is that there's a lot of confusion around Bayern Munich's potential pursuit of Arbe Leipzig midfielder Conrad Leimer. Of course, Leimer, defensive midfielder, uh, is the type of player that Julian Nagelsmann wants. And Leimer himself if you believe the reports wants to make the move to Bayern Munich. One report we saw from Build earlier this week stated that Limer through the end of June has a 35 million euro release clause. That since that report, uh, Kicker has come out with their own report disputing that. So in theory, if you believe the initial report from Build, you would say, all right, well, it makes sense. Bayern Munich wouldn't go after Limer this month because he would cost a lot more. 35 million is more than any figure that we've seen uh, attached to Limer's name. So, Theoretically, if the report was true, you would just wait until July when you can maybe get him for 15 to 20 million, which seems a lot more realistic in today's market, uh, especially given the fact that Limer only has one year left on his deal with RB Leipzig. Um, knowing that, and knowing that Nagelsmann wants him, and knowing that there's probably at least room for one more top end midfielder on the roster, uh, if, you, if you have the thought process of Bayern Munich. Uh, you could start to ascertain that a bid of around 15 to 20 million for limer will probably hit our Bay Leipzig's uh, inbox. I would say at some point in July, I'm very curious about this situation. One, I think, you know, some of what happens with limer will probably depend on, you know, if Bayern gets Sadio Mane and how much they spend on Mane um, I think that's the only other quote unquote major acquisition that will be going on right now. I mean, I'm already counting Ryan Gravenberch as a player that's in-house, the deal has been worked out. Byron already knows what they're paying for him. They just need to formally announce it, which we're expecting to happen really any day, but likely uh, the beginning of next week um, for limer. I understand the allure of going to Bayern Munich and, and I understand the allure of playing for your old coach. And, and by all accounts, Nagelsmann is a huge fan of Limer and would know how to use him, loves his ball winning ability. And I've questioned the Limer move from the beginning, even though I think he's a great player. Where does he fit? Is he going to take a starting role from Joshua Kimmich or Leon Goretzka? Is Nagelsmann going to deploy a 4 3 3 and have Limer sit deep between a three man midfield of? uh Goretzka Kimmich and Limer. I, I don't think the 433 three is happening. I mean it could. It absolutely could especially if the Mane move goes through because you would instead of maybe even using traditional wings you might have three four a three forward alignment. But I don't know and I don't know that if if there's not a three man midfield there if Limer's going to get enough minutes to stay happy and I'm one of these weirdos and I always complain about this I worry about a squad being too big I'm quite the opposite of most people who worry about a squad not being big enough I worry about it being too big because one I hate seeing players waste away their prime on the bench when they could be playing elsewhere to me it's a waste I as much as I like Marcel Sabitzer as a player I think you know ultimately his move to Bayern Munich's huge failure not because of the way he played but because it ultimately is robbing fans of watching him play who wants who wants to be a bench player when you're in your prime and and I do worry that Limer would be in a very similar spot to Marcel Sabitzer Um, you know when you have Kimmich and Goretzka entrenched as starters you have Sabitzer as a backup you have Gravenberch coming in you would assume he has to get at least some playing time right I mean like Gravenberch is going going to Come from Ajax, where he was playing a lot, to Byron, where he might not play really at all. So I, he has to get something to make the move worthwhile for him, other than the money. Um, you know, the club is losing Toliso, Corentan Toliso. They're potentially losing Mark roca who is getting interest from Leeds United now. But I don't understand the, the thought process in trying to fill an entire roster full of starters for the midfield when Kimmich never comes off the pitch and Goretzka really plays just about every game when he's healthy. I I do worry about it. I worry about how the team itself can operate if there's constant tension. And by tension, I don't mean competition. By all means, there should always be competition for roles, but there's going to be tension if, players are not in the lineup in their prime when they feel like they should be. Uh, It makes for unhappiness. It breeds discontent. And as we've seen a million times over in sports, no matter what sport it may be, that never ends well. And it always creates unnecessary conflict and always creates issues. And for a player like Limer, who probably can start on many, many teams in Europe, To have to take a backseat at this point in his career, as he's entering his prime, as one of arguably the top defensive midfielders in Europe, it doesn't make much sense to me. And And I get from a certain perspective, when you look at a situation like Marcel Sabitzer's, how he just reportedly wanted to try and win some trophies. And he was willing to maybe sacrifice a little bit of his own game to do that. But I think when he got here and he realized the situation being what it is and that he wasn't going to play that much, I think if he could take the move back, he probably would. Um, yes, winning a trophy is nice, and I'm sure all players strive to do that. But when you're in your prime, you need to be on the pitch. You need to be playing. If Sabitzer was an older fella or if Conrad Limmer was winding down his career, then yeah, by all means, absolutely go try and win some trophies. But right now, you know, those are players that are in their prime and it's, it's kind of a shame that you could see a player like Sabitzer regress so much because he's not playing regularly. I'd hate to see the same thing happen to limer. And, and I am also uh, one of those people who like, I don't like to rely on injuries for playing time. Like I don't want to count on Leon Gretzky getting hurt. I, to me, that doesn't even compute. I can't, I cannot put through my brain that that's a rational way to think. So we'll keep following this Limer situation. I don't anticipate much happening over the next few weeks. It does seem like in July, though, discussions will probably start to spike. And, and, you know, who knows right now if that release clause story is true. But it does seem like over the next few weeks, Bayern's going to be focused on Sadio Mane. They're going to be focused on the official announcement for Ryan Gravenberch. They're going to be focused on trying to find homes for some of these loanees that are returning, uh, whether it's sending them back out on loan or selling them outright. uh, We'll have to see. So uh, we'll keep watching this Limer situation as it evolves. But, uh, you know, I'm of the mindset that while I like him as a player, I'd I'd prefer to see him be somewhere that he's on the pitch and and maybe not Bayern Munich where he could be mired on the bench. The fourth thing that we learned this week is that Germany is – Looking good. And I, I hit the post-game podcast after the England match. And of course, it had a little of a disappointing ending with the uh PK that was given to Harry Kane. And it's it's really debatable. You could say whether it was an intentional uh touch on the ball from Germany, uh, or if you know you might be of the mindset that Kane was offside. Either way, it was an unfortunate way for that match to end. Hansi Flick is doing great things like we knew he would. And I think it's just fair to say that Flick for what may be perceived as some personality flaws in terms of how he dealt with the front office at Bayern Munich, maybe how gruff he has been on some of the players over his time. He has a way of making it all work and he, he earns the right to be a little hard on those players because he's already established an open line of communication because he's already built relationships And it, you know, his tactics aside, his style of play aside, he has done the job that he was hired to do immediately. He has taken a boring, lifeless, hapless Germany squad and turned them into legitimate contenders for the World Cup. And you you could say I'm overreacting. It was just a draw with England. They just spent their time sleepwalking through a game with Italy. Right. Those things happen. But compare Germany. Now, to where it was a year ago or a year and a half ago when the team just looked lifeless. This is a squad headed in the right direction. This is a team with a purpose. This is a unit that has potential to do great things at the World Cup. I'm not going to go nuts and predict that they're going to take down France or Belgium or whoever at this point. Who knows if they're capable of doing that just yet. But what I do know is that the team looks good. They're playing an attacking style that is fun to watch, and they once again breathe life into the national team for Germany. And that's about all you can ask for at this stage. Under Flick, he's not even a full year into the job yet, but he's doing everything exceptionally. He is is just a just a treasure as a coach, and every day I see the impact he makes on Germany. It makes me a little more resentful the fact of the way or just how things ended with Bayern Munich. This guy is is born to coach this generation of players. He understands them. He knows how to relate to them, and they respect him. And believe me, that respect is not easily earned from today's players. So kudos to Hansi Flick. Let's hope he can keep it going. Of course, Germany will play Hungary on Saturday. Uh, I'm obviously recording this before the match, but we will be covering it uh, very closely for BFW. Uh, hopefully we have a proper amount of staffing on Saturday to to hit everything that needs to be hit. But I'm looking forward to watching that one and seeing how Germany does against an opponent that they really should take care of uh, business with. So whew. the fifth thing we learned about this week, and this is a big one, is that. Julian Nagelsmann is is treading water and just trying to keep his head above it at this point at Bayern Munich. So every day it seems like we're hearing some kind of weird story about Julian Nagelsmann. The big thing this week is that he wants to, one, uh, he wants to implement a point system for his training to help evaluate the players and explain lineup decisions. Basically, if you're working hard and you're doing the right things in training, that you're going to be rewarded with a spot in the lineup. And this might help him justify who he starts, when he starts them, who plays, who comes off the bench, all of that. I get it from his perspective. It does make sense, and it can help him justify things. We do know that Nagelsmann had a had a, a run-in with Leroy Sané earlier this season at training, which, again, if you're using a point system and, and Sané's getting docked for whatever was – Going through his mind at that point, um, you can justify keeping him on the bench. We know that Robert Lewandowski, if you believe this crazy story that came out this week from Build, basically told Nagelsmann to mind his own business when Nagelsmann approached him about his body positioning on receiving crosses. Uh, Lewandowski reportedly told the manager, uh, reminded the manager, who exactly was the one that had scored 40 goals in the Bundesliga. So that story, whether you believe it or not, it it came across as a leak from the club to counter uh, all of the whining from Lewandowski that happened earlier in the week. Um, You know, this is all a cat and mouse game with the media. It was just very curious the timing of all of this and, 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 and how it worked out. But if you believe the report, you can see that not everything is, was, was, you know, PG Keen with Nagelsmann and his squad. We had also previously heard that there were three or four players that were unhappy with the coach's tactics. I think if you if you want to look at that, you could probably guess who a couple are. I mean, obviously, one would seemingly be Lewandowski because his production kind of went up and down over the course of the season. Uh, you know, again, you could speculate a million names, but I always look at Thomas Muller and how it seemed like in some in some matches. I felt like the life was choked out of the center, center of the pitch because the wider players um, were just so condensed in the middle there, especially in the attacking third, that it, it did choke the life out of Lewandowski and Muller. When it comes to criticizing Nagelsmann, coaches and players are always going to have disagreements. Players are always going to criticize the coach. That's the tradition as old as time itself. That's never going to end. Okay, fans are always going to criticize and question the coach. Again, that's always going to happen with Nagelsmann. I think he did a lot of great things with the team this season. He also did some questionable things, ultimately flip flopping formations and and having players in different roles and those roles being confusing and tactics not necessarily being absorbed by the players and being implemented out on the pitch. I think all of that combined to a lot of the confusion we saw in the second half, I don't think Nagelsmann necessarily did a great job in laying out roles and responsibilities and and, and being stringent with those and keeping them to uh, keeping them together in a way that the players could always go out and execute on the pitch. I do think there was a lot of confusion. That said, he did win a title, and we've said a million times over when you do that, you, you had a successful season. And, and while there may be some cracks in the foundation of what Nagelsmann is building right now, it doesn't mean that, that he can't be successful moving forward. It doesn't mean that, you know, this is just, you know, the club itself is treading water with him. But there is enough out there to start to question for some people whether Nagelsmann will be ultimately the right person for the job. It does seem like there's a lot more baggage with this gig than Nogglesman ever anticipated. I'm sure he knew he'd have to deal with egos. I'm sure he probably felt he could handle it better. But when dealing with Lewandowski, when dealing with Thomas Muller, when dealing with Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry, high-maintenance players, players that have a firm idea of what they could and should be doing, it's not easy. And I think Nagelsmann has really struggled with that. I think he has struggled internally with himself on the, tax, the tactics he wants to use versus what the club is best equipped to use. Uh, obviously, with the way the club is set up and with so many wingers, a four-two-three-one is probably the best formation for the roster. Nagelsmann himself might not necessarily want to run that. And I think that that is a, a constant conflict for him. The thing that we have learned about Nagelsmann this week is that he is also considering narrowing down his formations to to basically two. one being focused on a back three, one being focused on a back four. What he ultimately chooses to make Byron's primary formation will have a huge impact not only on the personnel and how they populate those positions within the formation, but also how those players react, how motivated they stay and, and what their mood and mannerisms are like throughout the season. This is a high maintenance group. This is a group with high expectations, one on their individual selves, but also for the team. There are going to be a lot of unhappy people. The more this the more talent the club adds, the more potential for conflict there is. Uh, that's just a fact. And while injuries can never be accounted for, but you can always count on a few happening, uh, again, I don't know that you want to be in a position where you're you're planning for someone to get injured. In hopes of being able to play someone else. So I do think Nagelsmann, I don't want to say he's in over his head because he's not. He knew exactly what he was signing up for in terms of how bright those lights would be in Munich. But I do think there were some little nuances that he wasn't quite prepared for. And just the entire situation with contracts as it evolved over the past year, when you're talking about Muller, Neuer, Lewandowski, Gnabry, Coman, I mean, you're talking about hugely impactful players, very important players, players that will go down in this club's history and trying to work through that while being in the first year as a coach and implementing your tactics, which might not match up with what the players or the front office wants, trying to work through building those personal relationships, which obviously, as we could see through some of the interactions, might not have went as well as many had hoped. You know, it's a tough spot for Nogglesman to be in. Is there a reason to doubt he can do the job? And by do the job, I mean ultimately win the Champions League here. There's a sliver of doubt. There should be. There should be a sliver of doubt with any coach. I personally think he's still equipped to do it. I think he's a bright coach. I think he's got a lot of positives to what he brings to the table. But I also understand the many that are clamoring for him uh, to kind of be walking the plank at this stage. I think that he's, he's got some things about him that, that rub people the wrong way. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but I do think that this guy is focused on his job. I think he's fully committed to his job, maybe a little too committed at times. And I think he's got an idea of where he wants to go and how to get there. It's just a matter, can he get the support from the club to get there the way he wants to? And it's a very conflicting thing for the guy. I'm sure that, you know, he's doing the best that he can with this group but I do think the wheels came off a bit in the second half. I think he really struggled with how to get things together. And I think this is a key season for him. I think that, you know, if the club gets out to a bad start, if there's a little uneasiness about things and all of this is possible because the roster is so in flux at this point, um, you know, there could be people pushing for him to, to make an early exit from Bayern Munich. And that would be unfortunate, but, this is really, I don't want to say a make-or-break season for Nagelsmann because I think he's got enough support to get through, but it's a very important one. And if, something, if things don't break right for him this season, if he is successful, again, maybe wins the league but nothing else, or they have a bad showing in the Champions League, or even don't win the league, imagine that, things like that could be enough to maybe expedite uh, those in charge having some doubts about Nagelsman and maybe pulling the plug on his tenure. So we'll see what happens with him. I think he's got an idea. I think he's got a vision here. Can he implement that vision? Can he see it through and can, can he get the players to buy into it? And that's going to be a big thing for him uh, for the people that are supporting him. You know, you're hoping for the best for the people that just want him gone you know, you're probably, your case is probably feeling a little stronger these days based on these recent reports. And again, the validity of any of these reports, you know, could be called in the question at any time. But, you know, we can only go with what's out there. So Nogglesman is he on the hot seat? Eh, probably not yet. But uh, a slow start will certainly put his uh, bottom there, if you know what I mean. <sighs> Finally, we'll close things out. I, I did touch on some of the stuff I was watching. I I, I did start uh, the boys again, which is really tremendous. But man, it's got some disturbing footage at times. Uh, but yeah, it's a still quite a way to kick off the new season of the boys. It's been uh, good so far. I'm looking forward to seeing how the storyline evolves. Uh, you know, if you're a fan of that show, drop me some comments. Let me know what you think of these initial episodes. Uh, I obviously have been entertained by them, but (laughs) man,
1: some of the scenes
0: were, were tough to watch. Uh, I'm not necessarily into the uh, gore factor, but I got a lot of it. So um, (laughs) uh, I will continue to watch that. And I'll also continue to make some progress on Obi-Wan, which is, uh, you know, being a Star Wars nerd that I am. And and I'm not as, listen, admittedly, I'm not as big a Star Wars nerd as someone like Philip Quinn, but uh, I do like Star Wars. And, and, and I try to, one difference probably between uh, me and some larger Star Wars nerds is that uh, I, I try not to think too much about the canon and what's canon and what you count and, and what makes sense and what doesn't. I'm just trying to enjoy these shows uh, for what they're worth. Um, I'm realizing that the huge gap in the stories here between when the initial trilogy was released and then the prequels and then the sequels and then the the, the new shows in between how, It's not necessarily all going to tie together seamlessly and I get that and and I respect it and I'm just trying to enjoy the show for what it is. And so far I'm doing that. So uh, maybe I'm just, uh, you know, I need to just numb my brain a little to it all, but I, I do appreciate the quality of the show so far and we'll continue on with it. So, Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We appreciate every download of this podcast. We appreciate that you check our site and you hang with us. Uh, you can always get me on Twitter at The Barrel Blog. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get Tom at TommyAdam71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. you can get Teddy, Samron, and Schnitzel, who is now finally back from his hiatus uh, on our site. So uh, we will welcome him back, and it will be fun to hear his voice once again on the podcast and to also see him writing some posts. So looking forward to having Schnitzel back. Uh, and I will uh, see you next time. Have a great weekend.